Welcome to episode 29 of the Joy of Horror podcast. I'm your local gourd gal, Joy, and thank you for joining me today. I hope your week is going fantastic. Today is a special episode because it's dedicated to my younger sister, who has been super supportive of my pod since day one, and I wanted to show my appreciation by dedicating a topic to her. I asked her if she could guess what I was going to be covering, and she said she had no clue. So hopefully you'll be surprised and happy with what I've chosen. Well, if not, this is still your episode, so I hope you enjoy it anyway. Today, we're going back to Japan to meet a wee water creature known for their mischief and devious ways. They're one of the most popular Japanese folklore known around the world from the country and are loved by many. Today, we are covering the Kappa. Let's dig on in. Now, the briefest description of a Kappa is that they're creatures that live in bodies of water, usually rivers or lakes, that tend to have a mischievous or even violent streak. They are mostly solitary creatures, but you can find a group of them, usually one is a family unit, mostly consisting of children. In appearance, they do change from telling to telling, and of course, region to region. But in general, the kappa are generally the size of a child, never seeming taller than five feet tall, or roughly one and a half meters, in any telling. Their feet and hands are webbed, they have scaly skin that covers their whole body, has a beak for a mouth, tends to have the shell of a tortoise, is humanoid in shape, and this might give some of you grade school flashbacks, but their hairstyle tends to be shaggy and in the shape of a bowl cut. In the center of this bowl cut is a bald spot, which we'll talk a little bit more about soon. The main thing that changes besides small details is their color. Most legends tend to point to green or blue, but there's also tales where the creature is yellow in tone. In name, Kappa translates to water child, but they go by other names depending on the variations of the tales, such as Suiko, Kawapa, and Kawaso, which, it's been a long time since my weeaboo days, I apologize if I pronounce any of these wrong. I promise I am trying my best per usual. Okay, so one example of a much different telling is the Kawataro, who is actually more like a monkey and is covered in hair as opposed to scales. I found that the description I gave a moment ago was usually more of an eastern telling, while the hairy version was more of the western telling. Over time, though, the monkey-like version, though still sometimes told and claimed to be seen today, has mostly been phased out in favor of the tortoise-shelled one. A few more odd traits of the kappa that tend to be agreed upon is that they have removable skin, which in some tellings, they do have to remove their skin to be able to sleep. They reek a fish. Their arms are attached below the shell, so if you pull on one, it gets longer and the other one gets shorter. And I can't believe I'm saying this, but they also have three, yes, three, anuses. Which, that's not the last time anuses are going to be mentioned in this episode. So be ready for that, because I sure as heck wasn't. To wrap up this part, a few more characteristics of the kappa are their strength, which tends to be equated to that of a full-grown man, despite their size, and that that bald spot on the top of their head? It's basically a bowl of swords, and it tends to be seen as a source of their power. If it dries up, they're either going to be unable to move, so, you know, die of the elements, or just die automatically. Due to this, the creatures tend to never stray too far from their home, which is great for them because it's said they also tend to be quite clumsy on land as compared to their quick and gracefulness in the water. 
Though, fun fact, if the bowl on the top of their head ever dries out and you refill it, it's said that most kappa would be forever in your favor. Either doing something you request, no matter what it is, at that moment, or maybe even be at your beck and call for the rest of your life. We're now going to pause for a story translated by Zach Davison over on HayakuMonogatari.com, which I will be sure to link in the show notes. The story goes, quote, In Kanda, in the vicinity of the town of Mikawa, there was a man named Kichigoro. One late, rainy night, he was out running errands for his business when he passed by through the gate leading to Sujikai Bridge. There he saw a young boy, about five or six years old, shuffling along the path. He thought, that is a brave kid to be out this late in the middle of the night. Hey, where are you going? He asked the young boy, and when the boy turned to face and answer, he saw a face with a swarthy complexion, eyes the color of blood, and a mouth that stretched across his face from ear to ear. Kichigoro was generally a brave man, and so even this was not enough to shock him. But when he stretched his neck to take a closer look, the strange creature suddenly jumped into the shadows and disappeared. Kichigoro flew home as fast as he could, where he quickly fell into bed. So it seems the famous kappa does exist after all. End quote. In this story, the kappa, just making his way downtown, didn't seem to mean any harm and either was just heading on home or maybe purposefully trying to scare a wandering human before he dipped. Which is sometimes how these creatures are seen. Harmless and little pranksters who love their cucumbers, melons, and Japanese eggplants. But there is another side where these beings, while still loving their veggies, tend to also enjoy a good old plate of human entrails. You know, for protein. It's this side that tends to drown people and animals, aiming mostly for children, in local ponds, rivers, and other bodies of water. Along with, you know, murder, the kappa are also known to pester livestock, sexually assault women, and even drink the blood of their kills. Human or animals? Doesn't matter. On the lighter side, they tend to just find enjoyment in making humans feel uncomfortable. Some examples are passing wind, looking up a woman's kimono, making obscene jokes, or just scaring a human by pretending to be a human child like in our story a moment ago. Now, most of this sounds awful, or at least not that great, but it's said there is a way to usually avoid any confrontation with these strong, tiny creatures. Want to take a guess at the answer? Politeness. Yep, it's said that the kappa are suckers for human tradition and all the polite habit. Which kind of goes against the stuff like, you know, assault and murder, but I digress. It's said that if a kappa approaches you and you're like, nah man, just bow and the kappa will bow in return, making the water in its head pour out, leaving them powerless and you're either able to get away or refill the bowl for that favor mentioned earlier. A positive trait of the kappa is that it's said that they were the creatures that assisted Japan's ancestors in creating medical solves and even how to set a bone when it's broke among other medical practices. They were and are considered very honest and intelligent creatures that can even learn how to speak. The whole telling jokes comment didn't hint at that to begin with. Also, these creatures tend to be big fans of games of skill and wrestling, even if this sometimes means with you and you end up dead at the end. Though Kappa are known for being very stubborn and mischievous, they are also very honorable, And if you win, you usually get to walk away. Now, in the water, that is their turf. So you're basically screwed if you enter a body of water that happens to have a kappa in it. 
But it said you can ward off the creature on land by simply keeping sesame, iron, ginger, or even a gourd on you. So you know, a Jack B. Little would be perfect in this situation. Another way to protect or save yourself from the kappa is what I mentioned prior about the bowl on its head and having them bow to spill it out. Be sure to double check this bowl though before pulling this trick because it's said that some kappa have caught on to us and now wear a metal plate of sorts to make sure that the water stays in and only dries out instead of spilling. Now back to the water, one way to possibly give yourself protection before going in, whether it be to bathe, fish, etc., is to throw some cucumber into the water. It's said that this is the kappa's favorite food, even above humans. So if you toss them into the water, this appeases the creature and they don't see a point in wasting energy drowning you for a meal. Another way to use cucumbers is said to just eat them. But in other tellings, this can actually bring on an attack. So, you know, use this tip at your own risk. But sticking to the cucumbers bit, it's said it was common for people to carve the names of their whole family into a cucumber or slices of a cucumber before tossing them into the water to ensure the safety of their family. Now, a funny, though childish, way to get rid of a kappa is simply by farting at it. Yep, they can deal it, but they apparently can't take it. The... <laughs> The last main way I found to defeat a kappa is to simply yank one of their arms off and hold it hostage until they agree to a promise. Which is, of course, another variation from the trait earlier where it said if you pull one arm, it just pulls the one on the opposite side into the body. We're now going to discuss what I hinted at earlier in the episode. The other anus mention. I know y'all were so looking forward to it. So, I knew of kappas before I began my research, but completely forgot about this part and maybe even blocked it out due to the sheer ridiculousness of it. So, it's said that the kappa's main love in life is something called a shirakodama, which is usually considered the human soul, and this lovely little ball is located inside the human's anus. Besides eating your innards, it's said that this is the main reason a kappa will drown you. You know, just to get to that little ball hidden in your back end. Their method of removal, you ask? So glad you're interested. Usually, it's just by reaching in and yanking it out. But the other main method is, wait for it, sucking it out. Which, if you're into that, cool. But I'm going to assume you're not enjoying yourself while being literally dead in the water and having a creature with a beak performing the act. Or maybe you would enjoy it. I don't judge. Live your life. But it is said that this is the main reason, besides assaulting women, that the kappa tend to hide in toilets near bodies of water. A theory is that this ball is actually the liver, or something in the way of the liver, which is apparently what the kappa really want. You know, in some tellings. We're now going to tell a second story of the kappa, called the One-Armed Kappa. This story was translated by Zach Davison over on HayakuMonogatari.com. Okay, but since this one is a bit longer, I am going to paraphrase it quite a bit. So, long ago, there was a mean kappa who lived in the river in the mountains of the Hida area. He enjoyed threatening children, messing with livestock, and creating all kinds of mischief to anyone or anything that came near the river. People were getting sick and tired of his games and would exclaim things like, Damn him! I'd show him up! Give him a proper beating, I would! After much talk, a few men from the village nearby gathered together, all being very strong swimmers, mind you, to confront the creature. 
The Kappa noticed the men, but seemed heavily unbothered by the spectacle of them approaching the river's edge. After a few more shouts of encouragement and anger, some of the men dived in to attack the Kappa, either forgetting or not realizing this being was even stronger in the water. The men were instantly attacked and on the defense. The Kappa quickly shot up and wrapped itself around a young man from the group, pulling him down and fixing the poor dude with a menacing glare. The rest of the group noped the heck out of there, afraid of drowning themselves, and made sure to regroup on land. They came up with a plan to lure the creature from the water, and while they surround him, they flip him over so all the water leaves the bowl in his head. The next day, it was seen by one of the men that a kappa had trotted alongside the cucumber fields and was stealing cucumbers. Seeing this as the perfect spot to ambush the creature, they all hid around the cucumber section of the field and carried with them wooden bats and sickles for defense. It didn't take long for the kappa to make an appearance. Once spotted, they all yelled that the kappa had arrived into attack, making sure to remind themselves to aim for the head to knock the water out. The kappa was on the defense, though, and even though he wasn't as strong as in the water, he still had the strength of many men. The whole time, he didn't pay much mind to the water on his head, and while fighting, it had all spilled out from the indention. The kappa quickly ended up on the ground, all his strength gone, and he could only mutter, what did I do, what did I do, over and over again. The men, in triumph, picked up the kappa and took him to the village elder, making sure to bind him tightly so he couldn't escape. The kappa was trying to be all, my bad, sorry I messed with y'all so much, can we just let bygones be bygones and move past this little bad patch? He proceeded to weep and continued to beg for forgiveness. His pleas were mostly ignored as the men debated on what to do with the creature. During their discussion, the daughter of the village elder happened by and the kappa implored her to help him and speak with her father about the matter. The young lady was having none of his BS and told him, hell no. After all the ruckus you caused over the years, you must be out of your dang mind. In a sudden bout of anger, the daughter grabbed a ladle from nearby and whacked the kappa with it. Unfortunately for those in the room, the ladle had a single drop of water on it, and it had landed on the kappa's empty head, and with it, his strength had returned. Seizing the opportunity, the kappa quickly broke from his bonds, but his right arm was too tightly bound, so he ripped the limb from its socket and ran away. The group quickly gave chase, but the kappa ended up making it back to his river, diving in, and going directly to the bottom. It's said that from that day forward, the now one-armed kappa never created any more trouble for the village. Now, the kappas have been a part of Japanese culture for centuries, and it's believed by modern historians that the kappa was a myth made up to warn children of the dangers of playing around rivers, lakes, etc. alone usually warning of swimming alone to avoid drowning. Even today, you can find signs warning you of the kappa around some lakes, ponds, and rivers. A much darker reason was to keep children from seeing what is called leech babies, which this involves infant death, so maybe skip ahead 20 or so seconds if this upsets you. Now, a leech baby was a baby thrown into the river. The baby was either a stillborn or was tossed into the river by a poor family who couldn't afford to feed another mouth. Sometimes the family would be merciful, if you can call it that, and at least kill the baby quickly before tossing them so they didn't have to drown. This was said to be such a common occurrence that the chance of a child stumbling across one back in the day was bound to happen if they wandered near waters often. But okay, I promise that is all for that. 
Now, it's believed that most Kappa sightings from the past or even the present are just people misidentifying the Japanese giant salamander, the extinct Japanese river otter, monkeys, and even your average turtle. Though, stretching it a little bit further, some believe that these creatures are actually aliens. Which is, of course, a classic. But the main argument for this is that there are many cultures with certain sea monsters or creatures that come from the sky, and the reason we don't have many direct encounters with them is because they come and go through these whirlpool-like portals. Which is an interesting take, and I admit, I kinda love it. Now, in today's culture, you can find the kappa almost anywhere in Japan, and even around the world. As mentioned, there are signs to warn of the dangers of kappa near certain waters in Japan's culture to this day. But there's also shrines dedicated to the creature as well. Such as the Sogenji Temple, also known as the Kappadera, which is a Zen Buddhist temple in the Kapabashi area of Tokyo. Which apparently the Kapabashi area has basically made the kappa their mascot, and I think that's really, really cute. Though I did find out from Atlas Obscura that the meaning for the kappa in the name is actually meaning raincoat, which is pulled from the Portuguese word kappa. It is said, though, that a kappa came to assist with the construction of the canal nearby, and when the kappa passed away, it was buried in the temple. If you visit, it's claimed they even have a mummified arm of one of these creatures that you can see. So, temple's not really your gig? Well, they also have a museum dedicated to the kappa in the middle of the Kochi prefecture named the Kyoto Kappa Museum. It's a bit far from the usual tourist spots like Kyoto and Tokyo, but it does look like a very interesting place to visit if you're traveling more to the far east of the country. Other ways the kappa is part of Japanese culture is in sayings. One example is, quote, even a kappa can drown, unquote, which essentially means that you can mess up something you feel you know best. There's also the cucumber sushi roll known as kapamaki, named after the kappa. A few more benign representations for the kappa are using them as cute mascots, characters, or even as cute little prints on food. They are commonly used in signs and marketing to promote clean water and water safety as well. We're now going to cover the main two semi-recent alleged encounters I came across during my research. The first being from August 1st of 1984. This event took place around 11 p.m. in a town known as Tsushima in the Nagasaki Prefecture. A fisherman by the name of Ryu Shirozaki was heading on home when he noticed a few kids playing around near the river. Obviously finding it a bit odd that youngsters were out this late playing, Mr. Shirozaki approached. As he got closer, though, he realized these children were an odd bunch. Not just due to being out late, but in appearance as well. He described them as having, quote, swarthy faces, unusually spindly arms and legs, and glistening skin, unquote. As he got even closer, he ended up calling out to the children, which apparently spooked them, and they quickly jumped into the river. We jumped to the next morning, so I'm going to assume Mr. Shirozaki was all not my problem and left due to the oddness of the bunch to begin with. But, as said, we're now in the next morning, to where the fisherman is walking along the river in the same area the encounter happened. He immediately noticed some slimy footprints in a teardrop-like shape measuring roughly 10 inches by 5 inches big, or about 22 centimeters by 12 centimeters, and the stride was about 2 feet in length, or about 60 centimeters. Other people who spotted the footprints said they must be from a kappa, 
The police even got involved and determined that the odd slimy substance left as the footprints was of an unknown secretion. Any testing ran came up inconclusive. In the telling of this account, it was said they were inconclusive due to the small amount of the sample they were able to get in the end. Our second documented encounter happened in 1991 on June 30th in the Miyazaki Prefecture. A Mr. Misugu Masamoto and his wife Junko lived in the town of Sado and were coming home from a night on the town. When they entered their home, though, they instantly were smacked with a very odd scent in the air. Looking down, they noticed a whole bunch of small, wet footprints which ended up being all around their home. No one seemed to be inside and nothing was missing, so the couple ruled out it being a burglar. Still confused and worried, they called the police to investigate. They found the footprints to be about 3 inches by 2 and 1 third inches big, or 7 centimeters by 6 centimeters and odd in shape, looking like the person or creature had 4 or 5 toes in total per foot. In the evening after the investigation, Junko was doing laundry when she noticed an odd orange stain. Wondering what else they missed, the couple did their own investigation of their home. They found more of the weird substance on a stereo and made sure to bottle it up so it can be tested. The testing resulted in showing that the substance had a high amount of iron in it and a compound that was very similar to spring water. A little bit freaked out, the husband decided to visit a shaman, but the shaman was chill about it and he let him know that he didn't have to worry. He said that it was a kappa and the local kappa enjoyed playing pranks. Relieved to hear this, the husband returned home. But harmless or not, apparently the substance the kappa had left behind was quite difficult to clean up. Between detergent, gasoline, and even paint thinner, the poor couple wasn't able to get the footprints fully cleaned away. But on that note, it is now time for the pop culture section of the podcast. I'm excited for this one. Per usual, we start in books. A few examples are books like Kappa by Ryonosuke Akutagawa, The Last Kappa of Old Japan, A Magical Journey of Two Friends by Sunny Seki, The Kappa Child by Hiromi Goto, Sword of the Samurai by Steve Jackson and Ian Livingstone, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, and Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them by J.K. Rowling, which we're not even going to get into her right now, and even a book called The Kappa, a Japanese reader by John Clay Boutwell which is a book that's apparently a part of a series called Learn Japanese with Yokai, which is so adorable and fun to me. If you're trying to learn Japanese, please buy this. I think it's an adorable idea, and it had good ratings. To tie off books, you can also find the kappa in many books on Japanese mythology or yokai as well, of course. Moving on to TV, mostly anime, we see the kappa in some shape or form, or at least discussed or a heavy influence in shows like Monkey, Power Rangers, Ultra 7, Inuyasha, Sayuki, Hitalia, Lost Girl, Pet Shop of Horrors, which is 10 out of 10, I recommend, Ranma 1 Half, Harvey Beaks, Arakawa Under the Bridge, Panny Pony Dash, Legend of the Three Caballeros, and Jewel Pet Magical Change. Of course, there's several others, but I think that's a good start for anyone interested. Now, in movies, we have the Kappa in form or influence in Sakuya, Slayer of Demons, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, Summer Days with Koo, Death Kappa, Rhapsody in August, Hellboy, Sword of Storms, and The Great Yokai War. Moving on to games, we have Dungeons & Dragons, Pathfinder, Yu-Gi-Oh!, Animal Crossing, 
Final Fantasy VI and XIV, Kirby, Super Mario Bros. 3 and World, Paladium Fantasy, Magic the Gathering, Guild Wars, Shadow Hearts, Yokai Watch, Smite, Sakura Samurai, Harvest Moon, Friends of Mineral Town, and of course, Pokemon. Which, the main one I thought of prior to research was Ludicolo and his prior form. But also, Gold Duck was apparently based on the Kappa Legend. Now, as with TV, I know I'm missing some, but this is more than enough to get you going. Okay, I'm now excited for today's movie recommendation. Y'all can say what you want, but I love this movie. It's Buck Wild and one of my favorite horror movies. I want to say within my top 25 in the least. Now, I wanted to stick to a lake or river horror this round for obvious reasons, and this is the first movie that popped into my mind. Today's recommendation is Piranha 3D from 2010. If you've never seen this movie, it's about a popular spring break location, Lake Victoria, and what happens when a small earthquake ends up releasing a heck ton of large and in-charge piranha ready to eat up any bikini-clad partier it can sink its teeth into. It's a really, really bloody good time, and if you give it a shot, I truly hope you enjoy it. Okay, that's all for this week, my wee gordies. If you want to shoot me a DM, be reminded of episode releases, or sometimes other fun stuff, be sure to follow me on Instagram, Twitter, or even Facebook at TJOHpodcast. Also, feel free to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and help a gal out by leaving a rating and review on iTunes, Podchaser, or even my Facebook page. Each one helps out a lot and fills my heart with joy. Pun intended. Before you go, though, I just wanted to let you know that I am very, very proud of you. You are doing your best, and it is more than enough. Keep it up. You're going to be okay. I promise. With all my love, I hope you have a spooky night.